are back in the Football Shed, the podcast for football fans that live in the wrong time zone. My name's John Hewitt and Jeff King is here. Good day. And Roger Gibbs is here. Hello. Hi, Roger. <laughs> and Rod, you've got a new beer. You were very excited about your new beer a moment ago. What uh, is yeah. your exciting new beer? Yeah. Yeah, what is it? What uh, are you about your new beer? It's a Hargreaves Hill. Jeff, so uh, Jeff, what have you got with you? Of happiness, <laughs> number six, and it's a single hop galaxy IPA. Can I can I just say for everyone who can't see Roger's beer, which is everyone apart from John and I, just shut your eyes and imagine a rainy day and a muddy puddle, and then having someone just vomit a little bit in that puddle, and then just mix it all up <laughs> with a stick. <laughs> And then have that stick being covered with a little bit of peanut butter. That is Roger's beer. Mmm, delicious. Mm, delicious. Chewy. Um, Jeff, what did you bring? Four Pines Pacific Ale. Oh, nice. It would seem strange for me, doesn't it? But it's because my wife went to the uh, shop, not me. So she got something oh. that she thought I'd like instead of something that would save us a, save us a dollar. <laughs> um, I bought a beer this week. Well, wow. no. You're uh, yeah, not aware that Audi, a... Audi listened to the show, John. You, you, you do have yeah. contractual well, obligations I bought, I bought here. I Audi. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is this one the of their brood Brick Lane, Brick Lane Base Lager. It's just generic lager from Audi. It's wow. nice. Great. I love it. <laughs> it's delicious. It sounds exciting. Um, it was Well, talking of exciting, Rog, this is probably the most exciting week of football ever. Um, and I feel like we should warn people, like we record this in one go, we don't edit it or anything, we just talk and we'll just see what happens and we aim for an hour and it always goes a bit over. But I think if we had three hours, we couldn't get through all the football this week. So we still be on the uh, Liverpool game. Yeah, the 15 teams we don't talk about, we're sorry. <laughs> there's so much to and talk about. And we'll, we'll talk about we what we want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Exactly. <laughs> Um, West Brom, right. How'd West Brom go? <laughs> yes, let's talk about West Brom. Um, before we get stuck into the football, though, I'll do a bit of admin. Um, if you want to get in contact, ask us a question, tell us we're wrong about something, just uh, find us on Facebook, search Football Shed, or email us at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, to, don't forget to always subscribe and leave us a review so more people can find us. And of course, tell your mates so more people can hear us talk about football. And we always start with a question. This week's question is very simple. It was a very exciting weekend in the Premier League. How many goals were scored in the Premier League this weekend? Oh, a lot. Definitely a lot. Good work, Jeff. Um, That was a lot. 56. 56? No, what are you talking about, Rog? 56? 10 games? Five a game? No, less. I'd say less. I'd say 55. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um 41 that's which, underwhelming uh, now not, thanks to roger it is that. Yeah. Yeah. well it has been 144 goals scored in 38 premier league games so far this season which is 40 more than the first 38 games of last season now that's quite wow. ridiculous yeah so it's uh it's going off but so why is, it, is it a trend then is it is it um was this weekend a one-off, or are we seeing the new? Are we seeing COVID normal? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a good question, Rog. Because I think we should. Uh, I think we should genuinely explore why on earth football's gone so weird, and why there has been so many goals, 
and what's going on. I think the lack of crowds is playing a part in it. I think the fact because there's a lack of crowds, when you're 3-0 down, 4-0 down, I think players give up a little bit. They don't go, oh, I've got to keep going. I've got to keep putting the effort in. I've got to make sure I make that tackle. They go, this game's lost and no one's going to shout at me if we lose 7-2 instead of 4-2. Um, so I think people without a crowd behind them, without the fan, uh, players having a crowd behind them, I think they're losing it a bit. I think you're absolutely right, John. You could you could see it in the Liverpool game. You, you could see that you know when goal number five went in, there was just a feeling that this is over now and you're right without having people shout shout at you and yell at you and and, and the feeling that you know someone came on in, to punch Jack Grealish in the face from when he was playing against Birmingham City you know it, it's possible <laughs> to feel like that when crowds are there that, that you're accountable you know you're at least accountable to your own performance whether your team's winning or losing if you are seen to not put the effort in you're accountable and I think that um I don't want to jump around games too much here, but but for one of the goals in the Man United game, I saw Pogba go from running at you know at a ten out of ten to running at a four out of ten when he thought that he'd been beaten by the man. I, and I watched that kind of complacency. I thought Pogba, that's a disgrace. You you have to at least try or appear like you're trying. But you know United had already conceded however many well, goals just, by then, and he just did well, just. Didn't put the extra extra bit of energy in, and I think you're right, John. I think the the lack of fans gives you a, you can forget that there are however many million watching around the world because there's no one shouting at you. And I think it's not it's it, like to Rod said, it's COVID normal. I think it is normal now for Premier League players to play in front of no crowds, so they're used to this being the scenario. We had it at the end of last year and it was kind of a bit weird and it, everyone felt like training and then they got back into it. Now, I think with a shortened pre-season and getting used to having no crowds, there's this weird... You don't get the adrenaline running through you when you stood in the tunnel and you come out and everyone cheers and goes, yeah. It's just... You walk out and go, oh, just got to make my tissue, take my mask off and go to the right place. Um, and that atmosphere is completely different so i think that's why we're seeing and, and i mean it, i think to, to make a comparison it makes it more like a friendly game and we often mm. see uh more goals scored in friendlies than we do in competitive fixtures because for that very reason now i i think in this instance if you ask the players and you ask the managers i don't think they would want to agree with what you're saying because, you know, I, I think they would have a problem with there being a perception that they're not trying because there aren't fans. But And, and I think it's almost a, a subcon- at a subconscious level. But you, I think I completely agree. You cannot take away such a big stimulus, that many people there, that many people shouting, that amount of pressure, and, it, and expect that it will not have an impact on the game. Um, Steve on Facebook messaged in and said, if this season actually gets finished, depending on COVID, do all league positions end up with an asterisk next to them? Like, do we write off the whole season? We talked about Liverpool's win last year having an asterisk. Is everyone going to look at this season when maybe Everton win the league? And go. This wasn't a proper season, so <laughs> no, it, it can't because everyone's in the same boat. You know, the thing is with Liverpool last year with their asterisks is that they got the majority of decisions for them. So, in the same boat as everyone else. No, sorry, I'm, I'm being tongue in cheek. I, I get it. Um, 
I, I think that having no crowds also lends to a uh, to less um less deviation from from tactical choices so when you when you have crowds there you can get caught up in the moment and you can spend 20 minutes going against what you've been told to do and what you've been training in all week because of the you know the the enthusiasm and the the pressure of the game itself but i think when there's no fans there it's it's a tactical game it's a game where you're in a position everyone can hear you you can't claim that you can't hear your left back or your right back your manager is barking orders everyone can hear them and everyone trains all week for it so there's no exterior pressure that would make you ruin your tactical setup which means it really does display a more of a, a kind of a chess style who's up against who and who's going to make what changes and, and, and we're seeing that with things like um, rigidity to high lines that we've seen exposed two or three times this season and it's it was rare last season to see that because there, there was more on-field decision making whereas now you're rigid to your to your strategy and when it's not working look at Liverpool in this game You'd argue that after goal number three or goal number four, if, if I'm not saying if fans were there, it would have been different. It probably would have because we didn't see this when fans were there. But you know, you would have more of a a situation where a player on the pitch, a Van Dyke, for example, would be going, "No, we're not doing that. We are going to shut up shop here." But they weren't. They continued with their strategic objective, and that was flawed in this game. No, no two ways about it. Do you think it's maybe then a lack of concentration? So because. Uh, it's quiet, and you kind of your concentration can drift off a little bit. Like if someone over in the corner shouts "Oi, Jeff, over here!" you hear it every single time. Whereas if there's a crowd of fifty thousand people, you kind of yes, you might hear the shout for the ball, but also you're very concentrated on this is what I need to do. I need to look at where I'm going. I need to look where I'm defending, etc. And so maybe the concentration's gone a bit. Yeah, maybe. And, and I also think average players are doing better this year because so there's, there's different parts of, of being a good footballer. And, and, you know, we've said a few times the, the difference between a great footballer and a good footballer in the Premier League is not very far. It's not, not a big gap between a good mm. footballer and a great footballer in, in the Prem. You know, if, if you are a regular first team 11 in the Prem, you're pretty good at football. You know, you're, you're you're one of the elite. Even if you play for Burnley, you're, you're sorry to pick on Burnley. I don't mean that, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. A Fulham player is very, very good and could probably cut it in a top team. Um, so because of that, if you take away the pressure from the from the crowd, so the the other sides, and not just the technical ability and the tactical nous, if you take away the other influences, actually we're seeing that. Some clubs have good footballers who, under no pressure, so who are able to play without you know that that mentality part, you know, not being born winners or whatever mm-hmm. the ambiguous stuff we're going to put onto their mentality, come into play without any of that, and you're just unpressured on the pitch doing your job. They're actually better than we give them credit for. I think you're right, yeah, Jeff, no, and that's often the thing that separates the the very best players, as you point out, is the ability to perform the same skill but under an under extreme pressure. And I think also, you know, certain players and often they're the best players playing in that pressure environment actually makes them play better. So you might even have this slightly odd scenario in, in this world where there's no fans um, in the ground where the average players, perhaps their average level improves and the really top players that their top level is, is actually not quite as good because they almost need that pressure to drive them on. You know, they want to be the main man. They want to be scoring in front of 50,000 people. And when that isn't there, maybe they can't quite hit that 
you know top top level now maybe we're reading too much into it but i i I, I, you cannot doubt this having an influence, but I also think we can overplay this. And I think that um, come the end of the season, if we get there, you can't put an asterisk on it. I think the best, you know, the best team will win, and we'll, we will see the, the the better teams end up near the top of the league. Now I know it sounds like a really stupidly Boring. obvious thing to say, <laughs> but, but but you know that over the course of a long season, I think that will happen. I think we we may see some odd results, but let's not forget we are still very early in the season. Um, and I think maybe if we take take Liverpool as an example, like the week before, I watched the Liverpool against Arsenal. Um, and to me, a Liverpool playing in that game were a level above anything else that I've seen in the Premier League this season. Now, I'm not changing my opinion um, on that from the Aston Villa result. Um, and I think that uh, there were some weird goals in this game. So th- there was an absolute howler from um, the keeper. Adrian. Adrian. Three massive and weird deflections. And then there was a couple of goals when Liverpool were chasing the game and got caught out with the high line. Now to have all that happen in the one game is unusual. So I think that this was an inflated scoreline. There's no doubt Liverpool were a bit off and Aston Villa played very well, but I don't necessarily think this was a seven two. Like Klopp was smiling, you know, as the goals were going in off for another deflection because it was a bit weird. Um, So I, I think it's a, it's a bit of an anomaly, and I actually, I would take more from this than a Villa fan, which perhaps we'll get onto, than I would be concerned as as a Liverpool fan. Apart from the fact that Allison is out for eight weeks. Yeah, well, because Villa hit the bar at seven two, so it could have very easily been eight two, and they probably should have scored at which that chance. Which is insane, isn't it? Which is yeah, I mean. It's utterly ridiculous. I want to touch on one last thing on why this whole world's been weird, and then okay. we'll look at um, Villa against Liverpool. Is it because the transfer window is still open? So in the olden days, and when I say olden days, two years ago, maybe three years ago, I can't remember, um, the transfer window always used to stay open until the end of August, and we'd start the season in mid or early August. And you'd have this weird two or three weeks of... Um, the transfer window still being open, people playing for one club and then getting signed by another. And then you'd have an international break at the start after three games. And then after the international break, everyone would kind of go, ah, transfer window's closed, done the international break, the league begins. And maybe we're just having that again, right? We've gone back to that way. And because we've had a weird um, pre-season, so the transfer window maybe has just thrown it a little bit out. Like Man United have maybe been worried about transfers and Villa have been bringing people in right up until the last minute. So maybe that has also thrown a spanner in the works. Yeah, perhaps. But I don't remember it being as absolutely mental as this throughout my life, John. And it was only in the last two years that the transfer window has changed. Uh, so I, I really don't... I'm not sure that has... that. I'm not sure that would have this crazy an effect. Um I think a point that you made last week about the teams that were involved in the late European competition versus the teams that were not, I think we are starting to see that. So Mm. looking at Man City and Wolves, um, you know, kind of struggling, aren't they? Man City are only on four points. Wolves are on six. Strange old results. So I I do think that the kind of lack of preseason, you know, really does artificially 
affect some teams and not other teams. And those teams involved in the European competition that gave their players a bigger holiday, you know, they're, they're having more of, more of a problem broadly than the teams that didn't, and they got to actually actually train. And, and I think a very com- competitive league. You know, I think generally now the Premier League is pretty competitive. Yes, we've seen in you know Man City and Liverpool for a few years now being a bit above everybody else. But I think the gap between a lot of teams has diminished. Like, you know, there is now 10 clubs where, you know, if you're slightly off your game, you'll lose. Like, it's very, you know, it's, there isn't a huge amount of difference. And so I think when you put all those things together, you know, you you can get these results with, with actually, you know, without anything too drastic happening. And I think that's why we're seeing these, um, you know, it's not just the individual games, it's the turnarounds as well. You know, it's the um, Wolves lose, winning and then losing 4-0. Um, yeah. you know, in the, I think Leicester that's, losing 3-0. Yeah, being Man City 5-2. To me, that's the thing that I'm finding harder to get my head around than the, you know, the odd result, like the um, Liverpool the Villa. swing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's move on to Aston Villa. So they did beat Liverpool in case you haven't heard, um, 7-2. Um, are Aston Villa the real deal? Are they going to be good? They played 3-1-3, second in the league to a certain Everton. Um, they brought in Ross Barkley on loan, which I think's a genius signing. I think Ross Barkley's a very good player who maybe has never been, never quite got it right at Everton and never been the main man at Chelsea. So maybe Villa's a perfect club for him to play alongside someone like Grealish. Um, Watkins scored a hat-trick and it looks like he can do it at the Premier League. Villa look good. Yeah, I think they've got a goal scorer in Watkins. I, th- I think he was he was excellent oh, last it's season. It's only one he, game. No, but he was excellent. <laughs> he was excellent last season. He was really, really good. A consistent finisher, like really clinical. Um, it, it's weird about, um, you mentioned Ross Barkley, because I think Ross Barkley will make Jack Grealish a better player because he will take attention away from him. You, you know, we saw teams just crowd Grealish last year and that was the, the tactic against Villa. You just take Grealish out of the game and they had nothing else. But now you have to look at both of them and, and they, they played with, what was it, two defensive midfielders and which freed up Jack Grealish and, and Ross Barkley. And because of that, you're seeing the interplay between them that was really good, but Jack Grealish had space. Ross Barkley is an incredibly talented footballer who is inconsistent and has a bad first touch. Also, he, he has a potato for a brain. So, is, <laughs> However, he was given the skills by God yeah. to be great. <laughs> so if someone can just turn his potato into something better, it, we always, always used to say that he, he was great when he had no time to think. Like He, he is mm. a great footballer through instinct, but as soon as he engages his brain, he fucks it up, but no matter what, he's he's a dangerous player to have. I think he's an upgrade on what Villa had last year, and I think it will be a really interesting kind of partnership to see. But I, I wonder with Barkley as well whether is he one of those players where we're typically English about it and perhaps don't rate him as highly as we should. And if he would have, you know, if he was Spanish or if he'd come up in one of the European leagues, he'd be playing every week and, you know, he'd be playing for their national team because he's really good at football. I- I'm not quite sure. I think a lot of it with Barclays is he's he's never truly had, apart from some brief spells at Everton, that continuity where he's playing week in, week out for, you know, 10 to 20 weeks. 
And mm. so you just see flashes. And I, and I think some of that comes from playing, but there's no doubt he can play. And I think there's a smart thing here they've done as well, which is he wants to play in the Euros. So, you know, wants to play, he's got something to prove. And so you haven't just got a, you know, a talented player. You've actually got a talented player that's probably got a bit of a chip on their shoulder and really wants to show what they can do. And I mean, he's he's one of the only 12 players in the league playing at the moment that have a part, uh, a pass average pass completion rate of over 90%. Which Does that I think, he only passes it sideways? Well, no, he doesn't. If you think of some of the, <laughs> no. you know, the that's, you know, you can't accuse Barkley of only playing the easy pass. So, I, I, I mean, I, I think he can play. And I, um, I think there's a bigger thing here that I want to give Villa a bit of credit for, which is Barkley's part of it, but a plan. You talked about Ollie Watkins. You know, Ollie Watkins played under Smith at um, Brentford. So, knows all about his game. You know, he's makes sense as a, as a signing. Um, and, and so I think it was, it hasn't just been, we stayed up, let's go and spend money. You know, it's been a bit of a plan. We mm. talked about it last year. Maybe it, it nearly didn't work because they nearly went down, but they signed players that were on loan in the championship. But the thing that really impressed me is they hadn't, so going back to lockdown last year, they hadn't won for 10 games, um, you know, before the lockdown happened and then afterwards yeah. so over some like 170 odd days or some crazy amount of time. <laughs> but before lockdown, they were conceding over five um, shots a game or something like five big chances a game. It was the, you know one of the worst in the league, if not the worst. When they came back, they that dropped to like two and a half. So, and they were, you know, fourth best in the league after they came back from shutdown in terms of chances conceded. So they clearly, now they only stayed up obviously with the last four games of the year. And at the time I remember thinking, you know, Steve Smith kept banging on about um, how they were playing well, but not getting the results, you know, in those 10 games yeah. after lockdown or however many it was. And they, you know, they obviously needed those results at the end. But when you actually look at the stats, you know, they, they did improve significantly defensively and that's what kept them up so I think the thing that perhaps I give credit to Villa for here is this has been incremental improvement now when they stayed up at the time I thought maybe they were just a bit lucky but you know what I mean what do you guys think of of Smith like I think we were we thought he was going to get the sack or do you think that maybe he's actually good I think um I think Smith's good um, I think John Terry's improved as a coach. I think you get better as a coach over time. And I'm 95% sure John Terry's role at that club is to make the defence better because he's been one of the best defenders in the Premier League for the last 15 years. And whatever you think about him, he was a good defender. And I think their defence has improved massively. I think what they've also done, last year they bought two strikers from the Belgian League who did well in the Belgian League. And we've seen it regularly. You buy a striker from a league that's maybe not as competitive as the Premier League or not as physical. It doesn't really work. We look at the Joe Lintons of the world and stuff. Um, they've bought Ollie Watkins from the Championship, who the Championship standard-wise is not as good as the Premier League, but bloody hell, it's hard. And it's probably the hardest league in the world because there's so many games. So that he might have to pay a bit more, but that leap isn't so big. 
And I think buying him, buying Ross Barkley, who has lots of Premier League experience, buying um, Matty Cash, the right back from the Championship, buying the goalkeeper from Arsenal, so he's got Premier League experience. They bought in homegrown. I'm not saying you can't buy foreigners or whatever. You buy homegrown players in that are used to the Premier League. I think that makes a big difference. Whereas last year, they tried to buy a few stars, a Brazilian here and there and stuff. And I don't think that worked. Um, So I think they've learned from that. So I think Dean Smith's learn how to get results in the Premier League. So, yeah, I think they look great. Where do, yeah. do you do you reassess where they're going to finish though, or not? We had them going down. I think are they. I still sort of feel they will be in. They're not going to suddenly finish top of the league, um, or in you know. In the, no. I, th- I think, but I, I mean, their aim will still be survival. So I think if they can finish comfortably staying up, they'd be pretty chuffed. I think they were comfortable this year. Yeah, I mean, three games, three wins, better goal difference than Arsenal on the same points, better goal difference than Liverpool on the same points. I, I think what they're doing is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yep. So, good on them. And, and they've got nine points. They probably only need to get another 27 points in their state. So, they're, <laughs> they're a quarter of the way there already. It, I, I think, if anything, and I'm, I'm sorry if this sounds like a, a Chris Sutton kind of comment, but Villa do my head in. Villa have done my head in for a very, very long time. <laughs> and the fact that they don't do my head in as much is a huge compliment to what they're doing. <laughs> nice. Um, I've, I've talking to team doing your... I've got Go another, I was going to say, I've got another question for you. Just to on finish Villa? on... We've been on Villa for ages. No, no, no. Well, this is a segue. It's actually on Liverpool. Okay. Oh, um do you, there's obviously Allison is out for probably eight weeks, six mm. to eight weeks, um, and so Adrian is obviously going to play, you know, have many games over that period. Do you think that that one change significantly um, impacts Liverpool? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. I do, like if we go back two years or whatever, uh, when Liverpool got to the Champions, three years now, Champions League final and didn't win it because Carriers. they had mm. Carrius in goal. I was going to say Mignolet, but yeah, they had Carrius. Well, he was and in they between Carrius and Mignolet. Um, and it creates confidence amongst the whole team. You're back four. It means Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold can bomb on with confidence. It gives the centre-backs confidence. It changes the whole team. If now... Every time they're playing, they're hesitant about playing back to Adrian. They're unsure about it. And also, I think we've talked about it. All the teams, there's there's a confidence amongst teams, the smaller teams, that they can get a result, maybe against the Man City or whatever. Um, People will look at Liverpool now and just go, they just conceded seven to Villa. If Liverpool conceded seven to Villa, they can concede three to us. So there's chances to get goals at them. So people will look at that and go, if Adrian Adrian or Adrian is in goal, (laughs) then we have got a chance against Liverpool. If we put pressure on him and we close him down, we've got a chance. Um, So yeah, I I think it's a proper issue for Liverpool. Let's segue to Manchester United here. That was going to be my... um... Oh, is that what you want to talk about next? Do you want to talk about? Well, United I just, I completely, I just agree with you on the on the goalkeeping issue, and I think that De Gea has become the single biggest problem at Manchester United for exactly all the reasons you just talked about. I there's your okay. segue. I see it now, yeah. Rog. I see what you were doing yeah. there. 
Very clever. <laughs> oh, that's why we pay you the most. <laughs> Which is nothing. Um, what it, I mean, what it, yeah, I mean, because it's, it's, there's lots to talk about with United and I want to hear hmm. your thoughts on it, John, but that's, I mean, maybe well, it's I overly bet. simplistic, but... I didn't think you were going to start with the hair. Um, I do think it's an issue, but I also don't think he's the crux of the problem. Um, I think the the hair is not a player that plays out from the back. He's not a goalkeeper who's comfortable doing the playing out from the back. Um, and nor is Bai, and nor is Maguire, um, and nor is Wambazaka. Like, <laughs> what do we don't bother doing it? Um, it's not playing to our strengths. I don't think the hair is the massive problem. I think having Dean Henderson as a backup and having seen him play really well in the Europa League, I'd like to see him get given a run in the first team in the Premier League and go, let's see if it makes a difference. Let's see if it gives a bit of confidence to the centre-backs and see if it makes them work out how to defend. I think the biggest issue is the lack of confidence in that defence. We saw the goal with Maguire heading up in the air and then pulling Luke Shaw down and then all complaining over each other and knocking over each other. That is no one taking control. That's Mm. Maguire trying too hard to take control because he doesn't have faith in his centre-back partner and then panicking because he doesn't have faith in the left-back and also getting his head head wrong because he's panicking because they're getting pressurised. So I think the defence as a whole is a big issue. But that's why I think it's the keeper because it starts with the keeper. We saw it with Liverpool. We saw it with Man City. I mean, yes, Man City can't defend, but, you know, Bravo was an absolute disaster mm. area. Like, I think it all, that, the, the um, you know, as a defensive unit, the, the, to me, it starts with the keeper. And I look at how many centre-backs you've tried. How much money have you spent on centre-backs? You know, you've bought all these full-backs in. Um, and there's been a constant throughout that period, which has been the hair in goal. Now, to start with, he was the one that was saving you games but mm. I think now for for quite a long time he is as much of the a, a, a part of the problem as anybody and that's the one thing you haven't really tried to change you know you've tried different centre-back combinations you've tried fullbacks and you're right it's not it's like the sum of parts is wrong they're just not they're not a unit my only issue is that I, I'm not the biggest Dean Henderson fan in the world. I don't think he's as good as everyone thinks. It's that um, thing of the grass is greener or whatever. He's not yeah. that good with his feet. He's a good goalkeeper. He's a very good shot stopper. He controls his box pretty well. He's not good with his feet. So if you're going to try and play the same way, you actually have the same issue. He's very confident. He's a great shot stopper, does all those things. He might add confidence to the back four, but you, what your problem is, your fundamental problem is the way you're playing is offering, uh, making pressure on the goalkeeper because you're trying to play out and try to play a certain way. Then you've got to stop um, it. You've got yes. to stop it. You've got to go back to basics. And Dean Henderson will be back to basics. And you say he's not very good with his feet. That will force you to play in a way, force Man United to play in a way that that means that you will be going back to basics. And I tell you, Harry Maguire will be much more confident with a hoof out type mentality than a play it back and play it to your feet mentality. And then suddenly that breeds confidence or at least that breeds more consistent decision-making. I think that the 
dithering in in Manchester United's backline in that game against Spurs mm. was just appalling, mm. and and you can see why people are um you know why they're blaming each other on the pitch because they're all dithering, they're all looking up going oh yeah, I dithered well wasn't why didn't anyone else take responsibility for it? And they're all fucking dithering like that is just so bad, so so bad, um you know poor 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 short balls played out by the goalkeeper bad positioning for defenders it was a real a real tragic game of football structurally i think well, that, we've, um, we've seen that every game jeff as well though like we watched the brighton game we kept seeing brighton getting in on the back post because the you know man united were too narrow defensively and, and brighton were overloading like it's now been every game where things aren't right at the back structurally and I just... It's structural. Yeah, you're right. It's not bad performances because I, I, I can't sit here and say it's all Harry Maguire's fault. I mean, I can say that there were certain things that were Harry Maguire's fault, but that was systemic of a, of a broader problem. And, and you're spot on, Rog. It's structurally, they are not sound at the back. And that that is, that the buck stops with, with um, Ollie for that. It has to. And I have to, my personal opinion is that we're playing the wrong formation. Um with the players we have. You can't have Matic and Pogba as your two centre midfielders. They're pretty slow between the two of them. They don't cover a lot of ground. You need uh, Scott McTominay or a Fred in there. I think Matic is great on his day and then terrible on the next day and it's just too inconsistent. My preference is you play three in midfield. Problem if you play three in midfield, where do you put Bruno Fernandes? And then you have a real problem because if you put him in, you have no width. Also, I spent forty-five million or whatever on Donny Van Der Beek, and keep bringing him on for three minutes at the end of every game, and not giving him any time to get on the pitch. So we so, asked you last week, John. We asked you last week. When do you start to worry? Yeah, and that was, let's that was keep before, asking. Him. That was before <laughs> six-one against Spurs. Tell, tell me, tell me, John. When do you start to worry? Still, still eight games. Still eight, eight games. games. Like I know there's the rumours of Pochettino and stuff. I think. Eight games for me is the barometer. If we're not in the top six, seven, uh, eight games, then I start getting concerned. If after eight games we're in the top six or seven, I go, cool, it's a long season. We're sussing it out. Um, I like the Cavani signing. I know that everyone's like, oh, it's just an old bloke again. Yes, it's an old bloke who hasn't played for a while, but he's a finisher, which we don't have in the team. We don't have an out-and-out finisher. Um, he's experienced and we can just put him up front and we can know that the guy will put the ball in the net if we get it to him. Oh, just, I just, I struggle with it. I really struggle with it because so everyone associated with the club thinks Mason Greenwood is the best player of all time. And uh, you thought mm. you're hearing interviews from Paul Scholes and Ryan Giggs. Everyone who, who has, you know, Manchester United in their blood thinks that Mason Greenwood is the man who will be United centre forward for the next 10 years. Why put a 30, how about 33 year old stop gap in there? Just, it, it just feels Mason like. Greenwood is 19. He's just turned 19 this week. He's played 15 games for Man United. Like, we can't go, you do it all. We can't. Well, he has not to do be. it all, but you're not short up front. Martial can score goals. He can score we're 20 goals. Short. It, no, no, we're actually very short. In front, like, I, th- I find this frustrating that we, we find everyone got funny that we're, we bought Sancho. We have Rashford, um, Martial, Greenwood, um, and that's it. And Daniel if James. you go those... Yeah, exactly. Daniel James is a championship player. Where's your backup? Where's your alternative? Where can you go long to? Where can you? Where's your pace? Where's your wingers who's going to cross it in? There's no alternative. We had a really good run where those three fired, 
but you have no different way of playing. If you look at Chelsea's front 12, <laughs> you go, oh, we can play Pulisic, or we can play like this, or we can play yeah. Habit. We don't so, have so the Did Cavani, yes, Cavani you, fix you, that? You've got an 11. But I think, that to me, the biggest issue here is we knew that he had an 11, and that 11 played very well for 10 weeks. Um, mm. And then he got tired towards the end of the season. But there was a lot of quality there. But then once you go below that, it dropped off dramatically. Now, we all knew that. You know, Blind mm. Freddy could see it. The, the thing that I'm struggling with at the moment is, why did you not go out and target players that you needed and buy yeah, them? We do, we- we bought two players in positions. <laughs> right. so simple. Right. Have, a, have a plan. Go and do it. They got hung up on this Sancho thing, hoping that mm. Dortmund will eventually accept less than what they're saying, you know, and that they're, yeah. they're lying about saying, if we don't do it by this date, we're not going to do it because we're Man United and in the end, they'll roll over. Those days are gone. But have a, you know, we talked... Um, about I, I can't even remember which team it was now, but you know, looking Liverpool, looking two transfer windows ahead. Talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Like I just sort of, um, you yeah, know, we we do talk about this in terms of Woodward being a money man rather than a than a football man. Um, but that is my concern for you. And I I think you know there was a lot of optimism around United with how you finished last season, getting back in the Champions League, coming into this season, and to me for you to get back to the top, which is where you want to be, you needed to kick on from there. You couldn't rest on your laurels. I feel like that's what's happened. And I think now you've, you're actually going to regress again because you haven't, you haven't invested in the squad. Can we just mention that Spurs were pretty good in this game? Yeah, oh yeah, we're going to go to Spurs We still, we got plenty of time. Come on, Everton, we'll man! You've had lots of Everton. Uh, let John have some Man United soul searching. Um, I, I totally agree, Rog. We should have had a plan and bought players. There is an issue around the finances at the club and not an issue with we don't have enough money. We have a shitload of money. But there is a stipulation within our fact that we're a floated club on the stock market that we must always have $65 million or pounds, I'm not sure, in the bank, and that must never go below that number. If we go below that number, we have to pay banks back on various loans that we have and with the covid scenario we don't know where our next report will be at and whether it will be below that 65 million dollar number if it is below that it basically is bad news for the owners not for the club for the owners so they'll pay money so they weren't willing to pay the sancho fee that was offered they said we can pay this as a whole package but we can't pay more than that because if we pay more than that we're likely to go under this level and then we'll be liable to pay more money so fundamentally it's a money issue but also as a club you should have a structure in place that goes okay we don't get Sancho we go for Dembele hard or we don't get them like there's still Ismaili Assar at Watford who we can still sign until the 16th of October just go and get the guy like go and get him pay 20 million or whatever and take him off Watford so there's no structural plan I agree, which is a mess and annoying. Um, but there is, and I think there's underlying money issues that aren't, oh no, we're poor. It's, oh no, we might have to pay a fee. Which is what so, fans were worried about with the Glazers when the Glazers came in. So I think as a Man United yeah. fan, you know, trying to get back 
to glory days, I think there would be a lot of frustration. Yeah, and, and in a world where every other owner is putting their hand in their pocket, the fact that the Glazers are not buying players to avoid putting their hand in the pockets, that that's that's pretty damning. Mm. That's the fear. That was the fear in the first place. That that's what would happen if if the if the buyout was structured the way it was. Let's move on to Tottenham, Jeffa. So Tottenham were really good. Now, Man United were crap. Spurs were very good. We're going to say positive and Jose in the same sentence. Well, yeah, are we? (laughs) (laughs) They were Um, were excellent. You've got to say, Son was excellent. The the way that their high press worked, you know, (laughs) United's defence wouldn't have looked half as bad if Spurs weren't weren't so good at setting traps. (laughs) No two ways about it. The, the way that they jumped on mistakes was absolutely excellent. They were lively. They were up for the game. They were clinical. I was really, really impressed. Yeah, I totally agree. And Ndombele um, is my new favourite player in the Premier League. There's something about him that is just excellent. He kind of gets up, gets around, has a slightly weird style of playing, and is really good and that really annoying a couple of weeks ago oh. we didn't talk about it but it was amazing yeah yeah so good um, uh, uh, so and, and you're right Sun and Kane you know they're still able to come in but Sun and Kane playing together at the moment is brilliant to watch like that we you know you maybe can't quite say it's like a partnership because it's a three but it it's getting to that point where they clearly have a very very good understanding mm. and it's really mm. good to watch and that's yeah. the, again we were asking the questions about whether Harry Kane can play in the in a supporting role, in a deeper role, in a number ten role, because the 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 balls that he threads through and the vision he has in that position, they are worth goals. And, and yeah. I'm not saying they're as valuable as him scoring goals himself, but some of the balls he plays are worth goals. And and because of that, you've got to look at where the value is in the team. The, the guy was exceptional in that in that position. And we talk about transfers with Man United not going very well. Spurs like Bale's very exciting and the left back looks quite exciting, but also Hoiberg um, coming in at centre midfield and Doherty right back, who didn't play. Aurea played very well this week. Um, they're not like wow signings, but they are good, solid signings that lift your... Jeff, you always talk about this, bringing up your whole level of your squad. They just got their whole squad, squad slightly better by bringing those two players. And that makes a big difference, I think. Yeah, assist of the game was Hobier. Is it Hobier? Holberg? I'm going to call him. Hobier, Which one? Yeah. Hobier. Hobier. The yeah. assist of the game was him. The, the way he threaded that ball through in the second half was absolutely magical. That so, was amazing. Very impressed. And I wasn't sure what to think of that bloke, but uh, he totally took my breath away with a single moment. So that's that's what it takes in football. And, and having spoken to a few Spurs fans there, I think he's the one that, that they're if, you know they're really happy about maybe it went under the radar a bit but in terms of a significant addition to the team they you know they think he's been great but I think well, we talked about United there to give Spurs some credit and levy some credit Spurs desperately desperately needed fullbacks you know Aurier last year was a disaster zone Davis is the opposite and he can defend but he can't go forward um, and he's a right footed left back which I'm never sure about um, you know, they needed another, you know, some more, but some more in the middle of the park. They need backup for Kane. They've gone out and they've got all those things. Like I feel like Spurs strengthen the areas of their team that they need to strengthen to give them credit. They've even got, uh, you know, at their store, got a backup to 
Kane uh, mm. from from Portugal, which I actually think is a smart signing. So um, Carlos uh, Vinicius, I, I definitely can't pronounce it. Vinicius, Vinicius, Junior, yeah. Um, and One to watch. so he's got very very good. He's twenty five. He's got very good scoring record in Portugal. Um, but also had a lot of assists. So, you know, brings players into the game. He's big. He's six, like six, three. Um, so target man, but also has Jose a bit loves big players. He only does now, massive he, players. But he, Spurs need that. They need a different option. They need, we saw how important Loriente was in their Champions mm. League run. They just need something different and just a backup. But I think this guy you know, his goal scoring record in Portugal was better. I think it was goal every 70 minutes or something like very good, but he'll be happy to sit on the bench, you know? And, yeah. he, and so he's the kind of person that will be happy to be there, but can come on and offer something different. So I think credit to Spurs that they have gone out and strengthened those teams. But the reason why I admit that I'm wrong about Spurs this season, now I know I'm going early on this. I think that there's been a bit of a shift with Jose. Ooh. I just, some of the things that he has said in the last couple of weeks, his comments about Man United, his tongue-in-cheek comments about um, the VAR decisions, and his, I feel like there's a little bit of that twinkle back. And Did you see all... his um, Gareth Southgate thing? Where he came out and said sorry to Gareth Southgate because he called him Gary, and he thought that um, <laughs> Gary, he thought Gary was short for Gareth. And he didn't realise he'd offended him. So he's like, oh, I'm really sorry. But he's also said it in that with that glint in his eyes, tongue in cheek, just like, oh, I'm sorry, Gary or Gareth. Yeah. Sorry. It, but it, but it's, he, though, it's that and it's that outward looking stuff. We know that when we think of Jose is best, it was all going out and mm. took all the pressure off his players by being the way he is. And when he's been at his worst, it's directed inwards and he's, you know, it's horrible to watch. And I just, I mean, maybe I'm reading again too much into it, but I just sort of feel like there's been a little bit of a shift there. I don't know why, what if he's happier, but I, I think I'm wrong. I, I actually, I, it's an early call. I know, but I think Spurs are, are going to go well. well. I bloody hope not. Um, <laughs> let's quickly, I want to talk about the Man City Leeds game. Um, partly because Newell emailed us um, and said, who did you enjoy watching more? Um, and he said it probably wasn't the most expensive team on the pitch. The Leeds-Man City game, I have to say, was one of the greatest games of football I have ever seen. I watched the whole thing <laughs> as a re replay. It was pouring with rain, like proper pouring with rain. And watching it, there, there was a point where, in the end, is the last 15 minutes of the game, the ball went end-to-end -end for about 15 minutes straight, and the commentator said, sorry, we haven't had a chance to do any replays, because it the ball doesn't go out. It just goes from one end to the other end, to the other end, to the other end, to the other end. And it's shot, shot, shot. It's, it was brilliant. So much fun. You see that even, um, you know, Sterling and De Bruyne, they looked knackered. It was yeah. about 70 <laughs> minutes where they're both like hands on knees, just like panting out of their cheeks. Like, what is this thing? It's brilliant. so good. I'm just, yeah. Having um, Bielsa in the Premier League is the best. Having Leeds back is Brilliant. And I, at the start of the season, was unsure if it was going to work at this level. Um, and I, I've been proven wrong. They look... Well, brilliant. we still don't know because we know that the the acid test for Bielsa is the second half of the season. But I think, you know, with Sheffield United, how excited we got last year, mm. uh, you know, team coming up. 
and Leeds coming up this year, again, it's something new. You know, it's the mm. it's the swarm. It is a different press. And I love it. I just love that. The swarm. It just you don't expect to see it every time you see it, and no one else does it. It's chaos. And what was... It's frantic and it's exhausting to watch. Yeah. And, and it's just madness. I I think it's brilliant. I agree. It was like it, I had a lot of pleasure watching this game. And what I was also really impressed with Man City were brilliant for the first 15, 20 minutes and were all over them. And the couple of defenders in the leads back four made mistakes. Um, and you could see if you made those mistakes, heads go down or get confused or get a bit overrun. They're playing against Man City. They've gone a goal down. They didn't. They tweaked their formation. They tweaked the way they were pressing. And Bielsa was guiding them through all it. And they were brilliant at just going okay we change our game plan we change slightly what we do and then we still press and incredible to watch they'll get a lot of belief from that game too i i really think that that's that's given them a um a kick start for their season i look forward to it um so jeff i have a question for you go on will everton win the league oh we're three points clear john i absolutely think so um <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> Well, well, I mean, it was a great win. You won 4-2 um, against Brighton, who have played well. And we've watched Brighton at different times this season and gone, yeah, they look good. But Everton looked pretty comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's a real strange time to, to be an Everton fan. Obviously, you know, you're, you're indoctrinated to look at the bottom of the league and work your way up. But that's what I do. And then you finally see Everton at the top and you're like, oh, well, bloody hell, that's, that's crazy. I think that... The difference is, and the reason why Everton fans are going so crazy, you know, you might think that it's overzealous or early or whatever, but they're not just picking up points. They are smashing teams. And <laughs> like, that's the difference. You know, if it was just scraping it 2-1, I think we'd be a bit more tapered. But when you look at the stats this year versus last year, so it's taken Everton only four games, obviously, to reach 12 points. Last year, it took 12 games to reach 12 points. Now, to score, to get seven victories, it's only taken 21 days this season. Last season, it took 92 days. Like, the difference is phenomenal. And um, the last the last stat that I think shows it all is that under Marco Silva last season, do you know how many goals Everton scored? No. 23. Under, under Ancelotti in the last seven games, 24. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's... <laughs> <laughs> it's not just winning, it's smashing. And and I think that... Um, so I, I'm not going to bang on about it too much because if we're going to be top of the league all year, you're going to hear me talk about Everton quite a lot this season. So I don't, I don't want to ruin it, but I just think that um, we're winning games we should and we're doing it convincingly. And it, I've got to pinch myself sometimes. Um, we'll see how you well, go I to ask Liverpool. You, yes, that was going to be my question. So the, we've got international break next week, which um, is slightly underwhelming um, and dangerous for COVID, but we'll... Leave that. Um, the Merseyside derby is the first game back for Liverpool afterwards. Now, obviously, Liverpool are coming back after a 7-2 defeat um, and Everton are flying. For me, it's the most exciting Merseyside derby that I would have watched uh, in a long, long 10 years. Time, yeah. <laughs> Maybe 30 years. I don't know. But it must be exciting for you, Jeff. Well, yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's a year ago. Sorry, sorry. It's 10 years ago to the week that Everton last beat Liverpool in the Merseyside derby. So that's a, it's a long time. Uh, it's a Goodison Park. I think that for the first time, Everton are coming into the game feeling like they should win. 
and that's not because I'm not saying it's because Everton are a better team than Liverpool. Don't get me wrong; I'm not. I'm not completely delusional. However, the mentality is they're going into every game believing they should win, and that's not just lip service. They believe that yeah. they're doing that, and you see that when they hit adversity, when they go a goal down or two goals down, or, or an equaliser goes in, they just keep on pushing and they score more goals. I think that. that just hasn't happened for an Everton team for a long time. So, look, I'm very excited about that game. Everton have got a really good chance. And if they do win, you, you've got to say they're flying, absolutely flying. I, I, I do think, though, that this is very different to anyone that you've played so far. You, you mm. beat a relatively poor Chelsea team. And then, like you uh, say... Spurs. You mean Spurs? Oh, sorry, Spurs, yeah. And that they were were very average in that game. I know we just talked up Spurs, but um, <laughs> things change seem, seemingly change very quickly in the current climate. But I, um, I, I you know, I, I don't think it's a test for you, and, that, and that's that's why it's fascinating. But do you have stats there on when was the last time there was a Merseyside derby and Everton were above Liverpool? I feel like that is oh. a, a long time. No, 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 it's not. No. It was when Rafa Benitez was at Liverpool. Oh, because okay. could you remember uh, Rafa Benitez had two seasons where he finished below Everton in the league? Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, the more and that was that wasn't that Everton. wasn't too yeah. too long ago. But the thing is, Correct. we still didn't win the Merseyside derbies during those seasons. <laughs> still didn't happen. Um, we got a message from Mike on Facebook that just said, "Keep calm, Jeff." So I thought that was important <laughs> to share. Thanks, Mike. I'm trying, <laughs> mate. Um, um, oh, quickly, last thing on Everton is you brought in Ben Godfrey. Um, which um, we spoke on WhatsApp earlier, and I think that's a great signing. I think he's a really good centre-back and is an upgrade on Mina um, and Young and got a lot of legs, a um, lot of years ahead of him. Um, and you've also lost Moise Keane, who's gone to PSG on loan. Yeah, with no option to buy, which I think is the interesting part of that deal. So, so there's no, it's not offloading, it's going, he needs more game time. Which I think we could yeah. all agree he needs more game time. It's, and going to a league where you're going to be getting good service, uh, playing against donkeys, I think it's um, I think it's it's a good move, a good move for him. I think when you when we were talking about Manchester United and, and buying for positions they need and having a strategy, I think when you talk about winners and losers in the transfer window, it's easy to look at Chelsea and you know teams that spent big and have kind of marquee mm. signings, but. And Everton really did just highlight the areas of their squad that needed an upgrade and upgraded them. It was just simple yep. as that. And that was an overhaul. It was the whole midfield needed another centre-back because Mina's a bit of a liability and we need better competition for Pickford. And that's exactly what they did. So I, yep. I think that there's, um, I think it's really calming to as a fan to see what you recognise being reflected in what the team's doing. Because of that, you kind of trust them why didn't Man United just buy Ben Godfrey? Like, when you sent that, he's good. <laughs> well, and it, but it's also interesting. <laughs> he wanted to go to top of the league, John. He was excited. <laughs> I think that's the first time that's happened since you've had Moshiri's money. Agree, yeah. You know, it's it's taken a while to figure it out and there's been a few false starts, but uh, yeah, I agree with you. Can we talk about West Ham? Because... Yes. I, I just... When we when we talk about thoroughly enjoying games, which was the 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 Leeds game, I thoroughly enjoyed the West Ham game too against Leicester. Were you again earlier, Rod? You were talking about the swings in performances. So having Leicester coming off the back of beating Manchester City and then losing three nil at home to West Ham. Um, what is going on at West Ham? 
Like, what do you what do you, what do you what do you think? I, I thought in that first game where they lost against Newcastle that they were good, but they lost, and then suddenly it's just got better and better. David Moyes isn't there. It's got to be the answer, <laughs> yeah. hasn't it? Uh, home. Everybody's happier. <laughs> well, it's it's strange, but I mean, okay, a few things from the actual game itself. The goals, all three goals, I loved. And mm-hmm. that is very unlike West Ham in a, in a way. Sorry if that sounds bad, but usually you know it's, it's unlike a David Moyes team. But I think the Antonio goal, yeah, deep cross, back post, super strong, excellent, excellent finish. Fournells, his first touch, taken it out of the sky, catching it on the kind of half bounce. Yeah, and like then the, he got it, he helped, like it bounced, and then he put his foot on top of it to keep it under control. Yeah, it's amazing, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But then even the finish, he was on full stretch, like it, it was one of those finishes that he'd almost fallen over before he touched the ball. It was absolutely brilliant. So, um. I think those three, you know, the three goals show that they've got real class. And Jared Bowen, again, top quality finish. But then what's interesting is that every time they have a set play, they also look organized. So you look at his name, Suchek. Suchek, is that his name? The, the yeah. guy in the midfield, he scores a header every every time he, you know, every time he jumps. Yeah. When you watch his positioning, he, he, almost, um, he almost reminds me of Fellaini. He, mm. he is playing that role in... West Ham's team and that is being driven by David Moyes tactics and you know what happened there you know so I think that there's a lot to be hopeful for you you know the um I just I'm going to disagree with Jeff a little bit here in the um in the Newcastle game we thought West Ham were a bit unlucky Jeff like there was all the talk about Newcastle being great uh and we disagreed because we thought West Ham were quite good I think in this game, the score perhaps isn't a true reflection on the game in that two of Le- two of West Ham's goals, Leicester were playing a really high line and they were hoofs, essentially. They were massive hoofs over the top that ended up in goals. Like the the um you're right in that Fournal's touch was amazing, but it was essentially um a, a complete agricultural hoof over the top. Um Oh, you are being you are being particularly snobby here, Roger. If you if you are if you are playing against a team with a high line, you agriculturally hoof it over that line as a tactic. No, it wasn't not, a pass. It was it wasn't a pass. It was a hoof. And oh, it, come ended, on. it ended in a goal. Um, I just but, think you always uh, you know, against a high line do exactly that. We, but. I think there were patches where Leicester played really well. And I think the they had a goal disallowed for a toenail offside, Oof. which I think was a, a brilliant one-two yeah. from Harvey Barnes. And I'm mm. glad he's got his call up because we talked about him playing well so far this year. I, I, look, I think West Ham have been good, but I don't I don't want to write Leicester off, I suppose, is what I'm saying. But um, Antonio's goal was one of my favourite goals of the weekend. You might think that's a bit weird because it wasn't a particularly dramatic goal, but I just loved I loved the way he got fouled straight away. He's up and he, you know, he's looking to move the game on. He plays the ball out wide and then the guy crosses it in and Antonio has ran 50 yards to be the player that wants it anymore, wants it more than anyone else and has got on the end of it and scored. And I think that is why... Um, you know the, who's the guy that's that's got gone off on loan or is about to? Um, Felipe uh, Anderson. Felipe Anderson. Mm. You know that, we talked about these other guys not getting a look in, and you see Antonio do things like that, and you're like, actually, 
you know, he can keep doing this. He's not just a break glass in case of emergency right back, go up forward, you know, go up front. <laughs> I, f- I feel like he can, he can keep doing this. And, and I just, and it's a really interesting front three because they're, um, they're very different players, Bowen, Fornells and, and Antonio. Um, but I love, Antonio is one of my favourite players. At the Get moment. him in the England squad. Get him in the England squad. I think he's brilliant. Um, having talked about West Ham, I felt, earlier in the week and I sent this through to you guys that I was like I'm sure like West Ham were doing well this time last season they had a bit of a run <laughs> right I listened to last year's shed which is week four so exactly where we're at this point oh, last year here we go and here's some quotes for it one two in a row looking really good look like they have a bit of a squad depth that front uh, that front four is not out of place in a top four front four <laughs> so we <laughs> a year ago were in the same spot for West Ham thinking Oh, they're quite good. Maybe they so it could all go wrong, but uh hopefully not. Let's um we'll quickly run through the transfer window and then we'll go on to side stories. So the transfer window happened, everyone knows who signed everyone, etc. and stuff. There's a couple that I wanted to bring up. One was Chupo Moting, which I think we mentioned earlier, but the fact that he oh, has gone from PSG to Bayern Munich, so gets relegated with Stoke and then somehow gets signed by PSG. Um, who then make it to the Champions League final for the first time in their history, but lose to Bayern Munich, the best team in Europe right now. And the thing that Bayern Munich think is, oh, what we need is their sub-striker in our squad. So we, they've got to... How? How has Chupo Moting? How and why? <laughs> I think he has got a dossier. He has got a dossier on everybody. He's got a piece of He's got dirt. I just... I. This is... <laughs> one of the most bizarre signings for me. I just do not understand it at all. No. And another one that I saw that I really enjoyed was, do you remember Adrian Silva? And he signed uh, Leicester. for Leicester for 25 million. And then they missed the deadline by 14 oh, seconds. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so he wasn't allowed to play until the January. And then he broke mm-hmm. his leg and he just left on free to went to Sampdoria for free. Oh God, that was worth it. Years. So that was a waste of drama. Um, and Juventus have signed Chiesa, um, as in Enrico Chiesa's son. Um, yeah. he, he used to play for Parma. And at Parma, his dad used to play with Buffon. And Buffon still plays for Juventus. So Buffon is playing professional football at the Juventus with the son of a player he used to play in Serie A with, which I think is amazing. Wow. <laughs> One of the non-signings, I think, that stood out for me was um, their Chelsea defender to West Ham. What was his name? Tamora. Um, Tamora. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, obviously, everything was agreed. A fee was agreed. Contracts were there. Everything with some of the agents. He was at the club. And then five minutes before the end of the transfer window, he said, no, nah, actually, I don't want to do this. I want to go back to Chelsea, please. I can't imagine how that would feel if you if you are West Ham everyone involved in that if you are the manager if you're Alan Irvine everyone god that's annoying isn't it as Rog said on uh, WhatsApp maybe you saw the training ground (laughs) (laughs) oh no not training here yeah Um, a couple of people who now no longer have clubs Danny Welbeck has left Watford Um, Jack Wilshere doesn't have a club um, and Fat Jerry left Watford. He went to Udinese in Italy. But, uh, oh, and the last one I wanted to mention on the transfer window, Rianne Brewster went from Liverpool to Sheffield United for £23 million. And we had a decent heated conversation about this on WhatsApp around, I think it's 
a good signing because I think he's really good. But also, having thought about it and reflected on it, twenty-three million for a guy who's not proven—it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money for potential. It's insane. Like, but Liverpool are so good at doing this. How much do they get for Dominic Solanke? Twenty million. Twenty million for Dominic Solanke, and he's scored half a goal since. Rian Brewster—it's yep. the same, isn't it? It's basically the same. Same as Solanke. Lots of potential, isn't he? Great. Twenty-three million pounds. There you go. Back pocket. Jordan Ibe, fifteen. Jordan Ibe. It's, it's it's absolute madness. I think they even made money out of Benteke. They, 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 they brought him for five million. That's insane. Like Liverpool are so good at selling players. So good. Uh, John, I've <laughs> um, got one yes. one one transfer one, sorry, that, that probably no, right. the majority of people in world football will have missed. But Jeff, I wanted to bring this up for you. Our little ear of corn I think you called him uh, a bit of wheat in the breeze <laughs> Muto has, oh, left, oh, yes. has left the Premier League the very sad he's, he's gone on loan to Ibar um, but we've probably seen the last of him uh, I didn't think we saw really, the first of him never really worked out. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was going to come good never worked oh god he was the worst player yeah I think that was it we were like you, you would a, a small mound of grass where the ball would just gently roll up and then roll down in whatever direction it wanted to would be it would be a better asset to your team than that bloke like he has got to go down as one of the worst footballers I've seen in the Prem ever ever <laughs> Um, does anyone have any side stories? Oh yeah, did you see so um obviously Everton were going after goalkeepers on the on the last day of the season and Sergio mm. Romero was one of them for the yeah, Man United, the Man United goalkeeper. Guy. Well, obviously he wasn't allowed to um to leave. Did you see his wife put something on, on Twitter that day? Have you read this? Yeah, oh, so God. I can't remember what it is. So let me just let me just read this out. This is the, about two hours before the transfer window closes, when it's like lots of rumours flying around. His wife comes out and says, Sergio Romero worked hard for his club. Last trophy they won, they lifted it with him. He helped the team reach four finals, semi-finals, and then he was left on the bench only to lose them all. It is time for them to return the opportunity and let him go. Respect for once. Capitals. Fair, fair to say he's not content at United. <laughs> Well, like it's it's true that he's third choice now. We're paying him a hundred grand a week. Um, he's Argentina's number one keeper. He plays every cup competition before us for the last three years, apart really from the good. final. Yeah, apart from the final when we lose. When you lose, um, yeah. How old is he? And he's he's like thirty three now or something as well, and he's been yeah. So he's been there for like uh, six years. Um, I've got one quick side story. Uh, Mesut Ozil, did you see this? He's oh, not making, yeah, not making news on the pitch, but good, good on you, Ozil. He's um, he is donating some salary to Jerry Coy, who has been the Arsenal famous Arsenal mascot uh, since 1993. That That's is a amazing. long time, isn't it? And I think. Like, if you need an indication of how some of the Arsenal hierarchy misread the club, that's probably a fairly good example. Yeah. Um, and I would imagine it's not a, a massive incumbence on their wage bill. No, no, not when they can buy as many players as they have and give as many contracts as they do. 
but it's very visible because he's yeah. your mascot. You got to say, so it. it's, you know, it's sort of. You would hope that someone might have said something, but yeah, I saw that from Ozil and. It actually made me a bit sad because I don't want to see Ozil in the news doing things. Like that. I actually want to see him playing, and I just I don't think we're going to see him play for Arsenal again. Mm. No, no, he's just going to wait until his contract's up and then goes. I've got I've got another one. Uh, did you see yeah. the um, uh, Laporte Manchester City? I'm Rick Laporte. Yeah, um, I'm Eric Laporte. Yeah, did you see his Twitter exchange this week? <laughs> no. So uh, someone uh, someone said to him on Twitter after he played a game, goes, "Great to see you back, Eric." <laughs> now please stay fit the whole season as we're only complete when you're playing so he replied he went who's eric <laughs> this guy said your name is eric right i thought the i'm was just a funny way of saying i'm eric i'm eric laporte <laughs> wow so then laporte changed his name on twitter to i'm eric laporte <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> I loved it. Welcome to Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a side story that was sent to us from Chris on Facebook. Um, it was the Galatasaray Fenerbahce oh, um, derby last week. So it's, I think it was last week. Um, but basically, it's one of the biggest derbies in Turkey, and those the crowd for those games are huge and the atmosphere is amazing etc obviously no crowd at the moment um but they still made a point of flying planes over and dropping flares onto the stadium so they had to stop the match because they wanted to get flares onto the pitch which i think is brilliant wow commitment um perfect and my last side story is before we go on to the end game is all our shed specials are done and recorded and out in the world there is eight of them um they're all awesome thank you for everyone who came on and recorded them with us um and everyone else make sure you check them out because they're really good they're really good insight into how teams are going to go this year and yeah we had a really good time recording them can i just say that um having done a bunch of those interviews and we've now met a whole heap of very passionate football fans based all around australia it's amazing how similar we all are you know, mm. and even when you, it was only, you know, I think we did Chelsea and Spurs on consecutive days. And it's fair to say that Chelsea and Spurs are not the biggest fans of each other. But I reckon if you put those two blokes or four blokes in a room, they mm. would absolutely get on like a house on fire. It's amazing how just kind of a passion, overarching passion for football just kind of brings good humans together and you're able to have good conversations about it. I absolutely love that series. So if anyone, anyone hasn't listened to them, please do. It's, it's a really good thing. A hundred percent. And it also made me realize that Australia needs to sort out the A-League. There is a shed load <laughs> of fans in Australia desperate for good football. We'll pay money. We'll go and watch it. We'll support it. We'll get behind it. Sort out your fucking sort your shit out. Yeah. <laughs> um, Amen. You guys, Ready for end game? End game. Yes. Go. So the scores are Roger two, Jeff one, myself one. Um, so Jeff, we need you to win tonight, not Roger. Ready, ready, John. Prime. Um, now, because it's been a high scoring week, I thought I'd go for a high scoring game. So I've gone for a classic high scoring game, um, and because Tottenham did well this week, I've gone for a high scoring Tottenham game. So it's Tottenham nine, Wigan one. On the 22nd of November, 2009, Harry Redknapp and Roberto Martinez were the managers. And 
That's sorry. all I'm going to tell you. What was the score again? Sorry. It was nine-one to Tottenham against Wigan. There was thirty-five thousand six hundred and fifty people at White Hart Lane. The referee was Walton. Tottenham had sixty-one percent possession. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> um, and one nine-one. Jeff, you go first. Jermaine Defoe scored five goals in that game. Correct. Ah, oh, Jermaine Defoe was my number one. Oh, by the way, it was one nil at half time as well, which I thought was pretty good. Um, all all I had was I was like Defoe, Defoe, Defoe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Two thousand nine. Um, I ooh, ooh, ooh. cannot think of the Harry Redknapp Spurs team. I've gone completely blank on it. Um, I'm not saying anything. I know. What about what about Martez, Martinez's Wigan, Rog? That was a yeah. That Wigan side won the FA Cup. Don't don't give him clues, John. You're giving him clues. Moses. You're on my side. As in Victor Moses. Victor Moses. That is incorrect. Victor Moses is not in that Wigan <sighs> side. Uh, Aaron Lennon. Aaron Lennon is correct. Bloody hell, Roger. Roger's lost his life. If he gets this wrong. Yeah, I just cannot, I cannot, this is my, you know, you have my. Shoot yourself in the face. Yeah, I know. I just, but I just cannot, I've got a complete blank on that team. Um, Richards. Richards? Richards. (laughs) (laughs) like Dean Richards. Yeah. Dean Richards, who who they signed in like 2002, broke his leg, played three games ever, and was meant to be great. And they played like seven and a half million. Was he in that Harry team? No, no, they paid like seven and a half million for him in like 2002 to Wolves, and everyone's like, "Oh, he's the great next thing," and then he just broke his leg and never played. Yeah, this is. I just cannot. Like I said, I just you'll go through the team, and I'll be like, "Yeah," but at the moment, I just cannot picture it. No. Well, okay, Jeff, you win. (laughs) Sorry, that was abysmal. You ready to hear this, Rog? Yeah, go on then. Gomez in goal. Van der Vaart? No. no. <laughs> Rog. Dawson, Corluca, Asuakoto, Woodgate, ah, Huddleston, Lennon, Palacios, Crankyar, Crouch, Defoe, Bassong, Bentley and Jenis came off the bench. It's not a particularly it's a pr- memorable team. It's pretty standard. Wigan, Chris Kirkland, Edmund, Sharna, Boyce, Bramble, Melchior, Thomas Nzogbia, Diame, Scotland, and Rodalega. Did Moses even play for Wigan? Or maybe I was thinking Yeah, he did, but not that did, yeah. Yeah. James McCarthy didn't didn't play for Wigan? Uh, No, he wasn't in the squad at that time. Oh, mine didn't go very deep, Rog. I, I don't, yeah, I do, it's annoying because I was, this is one of those ones all you remember is Defoe and I just cannot, I could not, I was like, Defoe, wait a minute, Jeff's just said Defoe, Defoe, no, <laughs> stop, stop thinking, I, but I, I don't think that that is a particularly memorable Spurs team. Dawson, I agree, I should have said Dawson. So, Crancher, yeah, anyway. Crouch. Crancher, yeah, yeah Crouch. he went everywhere with Harry, actually. Exactly, so, Harry Redknapp, you yeah. should always just go Defoe, Crouch, Crancher, like, yeah. True. Always got three players. My other game that I was going to pick was Chelsea 7, Sunderland 2. So, uh, but I think I picked the easier one. Um, mm. Has anyone got anything before we go? No, great to be back. That's no. all. 
<laughs> be true to yourself live the dream climb every mountain and swim every river excellent thanks for listening everyone <laughs> you're an idiot um, we will be back next week don't forget if you want to get in contact uh, ask us questions or tell us we're wrong about something or ask Jeff to sing karaoke just find us on Facebook or shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com I would Go like on. to say something John so I've been told recently or at least that, that Australians don't know what hobnobs are and what I was talking oh, about God, was more hobnobs. a bit weird <laughs> so hobnobs are, are English biscuits just to let everyone yes. know they're biscuits so whatever you were thinking last week you're wrong. I was talking about biscuits. Excellent. Thanks, Jeff. Bye, everybody. <laughs> See ya. Bye. <laughs>